loneliness sucks, man. It effing sucks. Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is McAndrews, and today we're talking all about loneliness. Now, you might not think of loneliness as a mental health issue, more of a difficult emotion that we all feel sometimes. And by the way, we do all feel lonely sometimes. But it's been discovered that social isolation and loneliness has a dramatic and damaging effect on us, not just mentally and emotionally, but also physically. If we're lonely for long enough, we're more likely to get sick, more likely to experience depression and anxiety, and the socially isolated even die younger. Not to mention, as one of our guests so eloquently put it, loneliness effing sucks. So, what's going on when we feel lonely? What causes loneliness? How does it affect us? And how can we avoid it? Well, by sheer coincidence, these are the exact questions we'll be diving into today, with a particularly engaging and insightful group of guests. Now, I know this is a pretty long episode, but it really had to be, because it's all really good stuff. So feel free to break it up over a couple of sittings. But first, let's cover off some admin. Now, I'm really grateful for those of you who donated to make this episode possible. If you like the show, or if it's helped you in some way, it would be great if you could contribute to the next episode. So go to areyoumental.com and click on the donate button. I love getting feedback about the show, so if you want to drop me a line, you can email me, that's mick at areyoumental.com, and follow us on Instagram at areyoumentalpodcast. So you know when you're considering buying a certain type of car, and you suddenly see them everywhere? Well... It's been a bit like that for me in the past few weeks. While making this episode, I've noticed just how many songs talk about loneliness. Seriously, it's countless. Which just speaks to how universal the experience of loneliness is. And from what I can tell, it seems that feeling lonely from time to time for short periods is totally normal and nothing to be concerned about. But when loneliness lasts for a long time or starts to underpin and colour our experience of life, that's when it can have a quite damaging effect on us mentally, emotionally, and physically. And you're about to meet two really insightful and courageous people who talk about the dramatic effect loneliness has had on their lives. And you'll be happy as a clam to hear that our favourite psychologist, Nettie Cullen, is back to give us the lowdown on loneliness. So when I put a post on social media asking if someone had had a significant journey with loneliness, I heard back from an old friend I hadn't seen for ages called Suze. Right, uh, well, my name is Susanna Fougere, most commonly known as Suze. I'm 43. Same. Great. 80s, yes. Yeah. 1980. 1980. I'm a mother of two wonderful, amazing children, mm. 17 and 15, boy and girl. And the boy is right now competing. The boy is right now, as we speak, competing in the National Scholastics Championships for surfing. Okay. And my daughter just represented Auckland in rugby. Wow. Future Blackfern. So Suze lives out on the west coast of my hometown, Auckland, New Zealand. In a beautiful beach called Piha, where everybody knows your name and they think they know your business. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, can be a blessing and a curse. 
So I was really surprised that Suze responded to my post about loneliness because she is one of the most social people you could ever hope to meet. In fact, if I was to Google the phrase life of the party, it wouldn't entirely surprise me if there was just a photo of Suze smiling and waving at the camera. So how does someone who has never lacked friends end up experiencing an almost crippling amount of loneliness? Well, to answer that, you won't be surprised to hear we're going to wind the clock back a few decades. I was the youngest of four, and it wasn't until I was about the age of six or seven where I discovered that what I thought was my family makeup of mum, dad, us four siblings, was not indeed the case. In fact, I had a different birth father. And, you know, your foundations of what you think family are and who you are is quite confirmed, I guess. Mm -hmm. So to have that rattled without having the tools to deal with that Mm. was quite a lot. So from a a bit of an early age, I just felt different. I felt like I wasn't a part of something I thought I was a part of. Your family, essentially. Yeah. What I thought were my full blood brothers and sisters were only half. Um, So from a very early age, there was kind of this brooding of this emotional DNA volcano, really, Mm that even makes sense, that sat deep within this kind of bubbling thing Mm. of isolation. I don't fit here and I don't fit there. I actually don't really fit anywhere. Um, I came from a family that, because of how we were made up, and I think that generation of our parents' generation, they didn't talk about things deeply. No. You know, it was a, everything's fine. Yeah. We're we're a great family. Let's just pretend like we're a great family and everything is going to be good. You know, it's a bit of a sweep under the carpet. That was very much the culture of our family. We don't talk about stuff. So you didn't get a chance to process it and deal with it then? No, it was always, shh, don't talk about it. We know about it, but let's just not bring it up because it makes us all feel really uncomfortable. Which I'm guessing as a kid makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. Correct. Yeah. And I feel very alone in trying to process that. And how did you carry that through your teens and then eventually into adulthood? Well, I um, very badly. <laughs> 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 um, it just sat, like I said, like this bubbling thing deep down that was just not looked at, just glanced at occasionally and made you feel uncomfortable so you didn't look at it. Mm. And it wasn't until I was about 17 or 18 that I actually did find my birth father. Oh, right. You know, went through that experience and then finding out about this half family. And that was even another thing because it was right in my face again mm. that I was not part of the thing that I really wanted to be a part of. And what was the connection with them like when you found them? Um, they were stoked. Mm. And I was uneasy. Mm. When I look back on loneliness, I think that's where it began. That's where it began. From a kid who didn't know where she belonged, Suze grew into an adult who was vivacious and outgoing and constantly making other people feel welcome and accepted. Naturally, I'm a very bubbly social person. That's who I am. I'm like charismatic. I can get up on singing a band. I can emcee an audience. I can... I love being around people. I feed off being around people, you know. People would think that you're an extrovert, but I kind of tend to disagree. You're not an extrovert? I don't think so. Wow. No, I I would rather be singing in a covers band entertaining a room of people than being in the room of people having to talk to people. Right. But you're good at it. Thank you. 
it's not my safe space, but I oh, but I do feed off people. I throw dinner parties. I love bringing people together. That's who I am. In fact, you know how you do those personality types and what's your spirit animal and blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> I once got told that my spirit animal was a penguin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know much about penguins. They're herd animals, right? Do you call it a herd or a flock of penguins? Flock, maybe. Would you call it a flock of penguins? Well, more birdie than, birdie I don't know. Penguin. Sorry, but my geeky side can't resist interrupting here. So a group of penguins can go by a few names, but most commonly they're called a colony, a rookery, or a huddle. Swimming penguins are called a raft, and walking penguins are called a waddle. <laughs> but they're very social. You know, they make families, and they hang out together, and they weather the storms together, and yeah. they do things all at the same keep time, each other and warm they keep each groups. other warm in groups. So, yeah, so there's definitely been moments in my life where I've felt like that penguin on an iceberg all by itself, floating alone. There have been moments in my life where I could be in those in those natural environments and feel like the loneliest person in the room, even, even. though I'm surrounded by people. Mm. How does that work? It comes from a place of feeling like you're misunderstood or not heard or seen mm. or that you you know, can't communicate where you're at. So it can be very isolating. So people are seeing what's on the outside. Yeah, and I think people naturally assume that you, because you've got lots of friends and you're surrounded by people and you're out doing all these things, that she's fine. She's never going to be lonely or Mm. feel alone or... Yeah, and I love connecting with people on on a deep level, you know, having conversations. And it's not really until my later life... Later life. I'm not old. (laughs) that I have wanted to have deeper conversations Mm. and deeper connection. Loneliness is the emotional experience or the feeling of a lack or loss of meaningful connections and companionship. If you follow the show, you'll know that this is our resident psychologist and all-round fount of wisdom, Nettie Cullen. And actually, when we first sat down for this interview, she made my day by telling me that on a recent trip overseas, an airline employee recognised her name. I didn't want to say in front of a whole bunch of people. I'm on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's about mental health. (laughs) I'm famous. I was like, no, I'm not famous. I'm really not. (laughs) So we'll never really know for sure whether she was recognised because of the podcast, but I like to think so. Anyway, let's rewind back to before I rudely interrupted, where Nettie is describing what loneliness is. Loneliness is the emotional experience or the feeling of a lack or loss of meaningful connections and companionship when your needs for social connection are not being met. Mm. And it's also kind of thought of in terms of the disparity or the discrepancy between what you actually are experiencing in your social life as compared to what you want or desire or perhaps even need. So we feel that lack when there's a mismatch between what we long for, what we need, what we crave, and what we're actually getting Mm. in our social connections. Mm. It's kind of a sadness, isn't it, loneliness? Emotionally, it feels like sadness, doesn't it? It feels like like emptiness and lack. Mm. And we can be sad about the emptiness or lack. Right. Is loneliness an emotion? Gosh, that's a good question. It is an emotional response. Yes, so I'd say yes, it is an emotion. Um, so, but the emotion is that kind of lack, that craving, that, oh, oh I want that, you know. Yeah. And then the sadness can follow in a way. 
Yeah, so the loneliness is the, the felt experience. It's a bit like hunger. Mm. Like when you've got a lack of nourishment, a lack of food, you feel hungry. Mm. You feel the lack of something and the need for something. And loneliness is the feeling of a lack of something and a need for something that isn't being met or fulfilled. Mm. I like that hunger analogy. I think that seems quite apt. That's but... something we could work with quite a bit. Right. Okay. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. <laughs> it's like you came prepared, Nettie. It is. Oh, wow. And the interesting thing is that our need for social connection is arguably as fundamental as our need for food. Mm, wow. And I think it's similar in the sense that, like, if you're really hungry and you see even a photo of a beautiful burger, you're like, oh, man, I really want that burger. That's and right. if you're really lonely... And like, let's say you'd see like two lovebirds on the beach or something. Yes. You're like, oh, I want that. You know, like That's there's right. a similar kind of. And your reaction to that, like if you're really hungry and you see an, an image of a burger, your mouth will start watering. <laughs> I think it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have a physical reaction, yeah. a physical response. And so the interesting thing about loneliness too is that it's something that we feel. It's not just an emotional experience it it's a bodily felt mm. experience as well and so it's it's no accident really that the language that we use around loneliness is about craving and longing and pangs mm. that reflect that that very primitive primal need sometimes we can get a little bit duped into thinking that if i just have that one person in my life that's going to satisfy me and that's all i need but in fact no one person can meet all of our needs and we have other needs from our social environments as well. We need a sense of friendship and a, a sense of being supported and looked after and where we kind of share our lives and share our memories and share our experiences um, with friends. But then there's also this sense of belonging and connectedness that we get from being part of something a little bit bigger, mm. a community, a network a club. That's our tribe. That's our tribe. And so we can experience a sense of loneliness or lack in any of those areas. Mm. So I know that we've kind of danced around it in a really good way, but if, if just to give it a bit of kind of structure, when it comes to loneliness, what type of connection alleviates loneliness? I think it comes down to that longing that we all have to be known and to be understood. Mm. And for someone else to get us, for our experience to be acknowledged. Um, there's something about that feeling we get when somebody else really gets us. Mm. There's something about what we can endure, actually, when perhaps what we're going through can't be changed. But if somebody gets it and recognizes and can feel with us and be connected with us along with it, we can we can bear it in a different kind of way. Mm. What pops into my head is my daughter saying to me, Mum, I know you, know you can't do anything about it. I just need to know that you get it. Mm. And I'll say, yeah, I get it. And she goes, good. Let's go back to Sue's now. And she's just told me that she got married pretty young at the age of 24 and not long after had two kids. By the time she was in her early 30s, she found life had become quite the juggle. And you're building your empire of business and houses and life is busy and then all of a sudden you go to kind of connect and you. this is where the loneliness came in again because the people that you think should really, really know you 
should really have you. And whether that's brothers or sisters or families or aunties or aunts or husbands or whatever, everybody has a different thing. And when they don't and when you can't connect anymore, you go straight back to that isolating feeling. Mm. You're like, oh, God, am I ever going to find a connection here? Mm. Does anyone really get me? Yeah, yeah. Am I crazy? Mm. Is it normal to feel like this? Or is it circumstantial? What's making me feel this isolated amongst the people that I should feel the most safe with and connected to? Mm. It's sad, really. Mm. So yeah, that bubbly, social, fill the room with people and make everybody feel happy. It was like, hello, can anybody make me feel good? (laughs) Or is that... And I started to recognise that I felt like I was this person in a room full of people and family and connections standing. This like it kind of felt like I was standing in this glass case, banging at the doors, going, "I want to connect with you, but I can't. Like, why can't we talk about deep stuff?" You kind of feel like you're surrounded by people that are looking at you and having a great time, but don't see you. Mm. And fast forward. Um, I went through a marriage breakup, which was quite traumatising. My kids got a bit older. My son moved away for his seventh form year. And I only had my daughter every second week. So then all of a sudden I was this woman on my own. All of a sudden I, this giving person had no one to give to anymore. So I lost a bit of purpose, and I guess. And that was when the real loneliness started to come. Mm. And, you know, living in a small community and you, everybody knows your name, but nobody asks you how you are. Mm. Are you okay? Didn't get that. Not even from my family. You know, my brothers, my sisters, no mm. one asked me if I was okay. They just assumed that because I'm this personality and this trooper this one that just keeps going, this little battler, that I would be okay. But the fact that nobody asked was really isolating. And I felt really lonely. Mm. Really, really lonely. And initially I'd try to fill that with going out, going to a gig, just go to a music festival, go and do stuff, just go out and be around lots of things and just keep yourself really busy. But it didn't stop this kind of deep ache of isolation. Mm. So I had to give myself a couple of pep talks, you know, and go, listen, Fujia, you got to figure this out because this could either take you down a really bad rabbit hole and it, and there was a couple of moments where it did. Mm. Or you got some working out to do because you want to keep tripping up on this stuff. So At this time, had you started to get some insight into that stuff around your family and how that was playing into how I you had, I had done a bit of therapy mm. after my marriage breakup. Actually, one of the main reasons I went to therapy was because I did go deep dark into that sad, lonely abyss and... And I gave myself a fright, Mm. really, about how quickly I could, my mind could take control and just go to a dark place. Mm. And it was that fright that said, you've got to do something about this. 
go and talk to someone. So I did go to therapy for a while and it was really helpful when I did talk about stuff and I got the tools to get me through those dark, dark patches. Mm. But the pep talk I gave myself wasn't that necessarily. It was, you have to sit in your own skin for a while and you have to feel lonely Mm. and you have to acknowledge it and you have to look at it and not try to fill it. Just look at it. And that sucked. (laughs) It sucked so much because it was like going against everything of who I was, you know, being surrounded by people. But I couldn't be around people and be good for people if I couldn't be good with myself. Mm. So there was... Learning how to be alone and not be lonely. Mm. Where previously, for my personality type, being alone meant that you were lonely. Mm. So I just had to learn to like myself a bit. And that's not always easy, you know. It's not always easy. Mm. And how did you go about that? When I had my weeks without the children... Normally what I'd do is I'd be like, right, this is my week to go out and socialise. I'm going to go out every night. I'll just go to this person's house for dinner, that person's house for dinner. I'll be like, I won't be alone by myself at night. And then I'll just go home and I'll be so tired. I'll just go to sleep and everything will be fine. And was it? No, it wasn't. (laughs) Because I'd be going out for dinner and being lonely and miserable as anything. Whilst with people, right. Yeah. So I was like, no, sit at home. Mm. Learn to be okay with yourself. Learn to like yourself. Do things for you. So I started getting back into my exercise early in the morning, making healthy choices, just doing things for my body to start with, things that made me feel good, put me in a healthy space. Nice. I took up DJing, took up a new hobby, yeah. Bought myself a sound system and some turntables and went to DJ lessons and gave myself something to think about and do that didn't require pulling five people together for a band practice. Mm. It's something I can do at home on my own, and it brings me joy. Mm. But Mm. also recognising when I needed to reach out and be vulnerable and say to friends, I'm feeling really lonely. Can I please come over? And that way I'm guessing you're starting that interaction off on a vulnerable foot. Like you're not saying, let's go out for a party, let's have a band practice. You're saying, I'm struggling. I'm struggling and I need your help. Mm. I feel lonely Mm. and I don't want to be alone. Can I I come over and hang out? Mm. That's That's, hard. It's hard because it's not what we're taught to do. I I think I'd say, hey, be cool to hang to a friend and they might get get the idea that I need a hang. But that's... That's really brave to say I'm actually feeling lonely, you know? Well, going through that, like I said, going through that experience of getting to a really dark place really quickly mm. and being giving myself a fright, mm. I had to learn who I could trust, mm. where my safe space is, who can I be vulnerable with? Who can handle it? Who can handle it? Who's got either emotional maturity? Yeah, who can handle it, I guess. And who do I feel safe in, in saying that Suze Fougere, the social extraordinaire, <laughs> yeah. feels really lonely? Mm. Yeah. 
and it takes time to figure out who are your people. And how did they respond when you called and said, I'm feeling really lonely? Can oh, I hang? always amazing. Mm. Yeah. We'll head back to our psychologist, Nettie, now, talking about the difference between being alone and loneliness. So being alone is a physical kind of factual state, I suppose, but how we experience ourselves in that solitude is a critical part, I think, of whether we then feel lonely. And I think it probably comes back to our very, very early experiences. If my very, very early experiences are one of being connected and, and held, both physically and emotionally and psychologically, then that's something that goes woven into the psyche, woven into my sense of self and my sense of being, which I can carry into my future. If my experience tells me that relationships can be dangerous and harmful and risky, that sets up some complications about how I go into future connections. Mm, mm. So you hear of people who are like in a big, busy family, surrounded by people, but they're still feeling really lonely. Mm. How, how does that happen? Mm. It's such a common experience, actually, because busyness and crowds or, or large groups of people does not mean that each of those people are tuning in to the other. What about even in a family? Even in a family. Mm. It takes a deliberate, conscious effort to tune in to another person, to pay attention, to be curious, to wonder. And it's much easier to just be occupied with the latest, most urgent demand. Mm. And that takes our attention. And we have to choose to, to slow down and wonder about the other and take the time to connect and listen. So it, it takes time and choice to listen. Mm. I mean, it's such a common story, actually. People, people will say so often, I had a really happy upbringing and I had a really wonderful, active, busy family, but I never felt like anybody really knew me. Mm. I never felt like I was completely visible. Often people will talk about feeling invisible mm. and how lonely is that to feel invisible. And I guess even in a, you know, let's, like a partnership, if, like you said before, it boils down to feeling like someone gets you, mm. there's still a lot of space even in, a, in an intimate partnership for, to not feel fully understood by someone. Yeah, especially when everybody has their own stuff going on that they're dealing with. And if I'm preoccupied with what's on my mind and what I'm thinking about, my partner can quite easily feel lonely mm. in that moment because I'm not being present. And I know I don't I know we're gonna talk more kind of so called solutions later, but seeing as we're on that now, like what intentional things can you put in place in a partnership that can help that? I think it can be really valuable to be deliberate about making time to consciously connect, to ask questions, to be curious, to ask for more, to go deeper. Mm to wonder. And that it's okay to even not schedule it as such, but to actually be like, oh, we've got this hour, let's do that. Actually, probably scheduling in a busy family is almost critical. Yeah. Because if sometimes if things don't get scheduled, they just don't just happen. just don't happen. If you wait for a good time, 
you know, retirement. You'd, you'd be wait, <laughs> waiting till <laughs> you might be waiting till the cows come home. <clears throat> so, but we can we can also we have these kind of romantic notions of how a relationship should be, and and we don't often don't like the idea of scheduling intimacy. Yeah, scheduling going deeper and connecting emotionally because we have these kind of romantic notions that somehow just happens and that we just mm. get each other without even having to try. But we actually have to try. Mm. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit and I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words, Are You Mental? That's GoFundMe.com and search, Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. So when I put a post on social media looking for people to talk to for this episode, I got replies from two women. One, of course, was Suze. But I wanted to speak to a man about his experience of loneliness, but was having real trouble finding one willing to talk about it. I messaged big groups of friends, I cast the net out even wider, but nothing. I wonder whether this is because men see loneliness as a sign of weakness, and they're famously reluctant to ever show any weakness, particularly publicly. But whatever it is, I got to the point where I was nearly ready to give up. But then I was lying in bed at night listening to a sleep podcast I discovered recently. What is a sleep podcast? Well, in this podcast called Sleep With Me, this American guy with this drawling, dragged out voice tells stories that make very little sense and often go round in circles. And for someone with an overactive mind like me, you just rest half your attention on the meandering story, stopping your own busy cycle of thoughts, and it helps you fall asleep more quickly. So I've been listening to this most nights for the last three months or so, and even finding myself looking forward to pushing play and hearing this. Friends beyond binary, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Anyway, the other day, to mark his 1200th episode, 1200, the host Drew told a little bit of his own story and referenced experiencing a lot of loneliness in his life. Obviously, my ears pricked up and I emailed him the next morning. So, Drew releases two episodes a week and about 200,000 people listen to every one of them. So I wasn't really expecting to hear back. But within a few hours, he'd replied, saying he was keen, and before they knew it, with an ocean between them, two professional podcasters were recording an interview. Hello, hello. I don't think I'm hearing you. Hmm. Check, check, check. Hello, checking, one, two. Okay, maybe it's this, it's gotta be this. You got me? You got me? Got you now. All right. I'm 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 hearing hearing myself myself echoing. echoing. After fumbling around for a good while, we finally sorted out the technical issues. Such a professional outfit here. Between the two of us, we can make one podcast, you know? (laughs) So it's probably worth pointing out that both my guests in this episode have experienced a kind of long-term loneliness that got weaved into them at a young age, whereas some of us don't actually experience a strong sense of loneliness until we go through a season of feeling isolated in our adult lives. Obviously, both experiences of loneliness are valid and have a big impact on us. Annette will be speaking to the more seasonal experience of loneliness later on. But for now, here's Drew talking about when he first started feeling lonely. I'm the oldest of six kids. Wow. 
And so I think the idea of loneliness kind of is tied in for probably for me with something like shame or like something forbidden. Cause it's like, what kind of person could be lonely in a house full of kids? There must be something really defective about you. If you could be lonely when you're sharing a room with one or two of your brothers. And I guess like my first bouts with it where it really hurt uh, and was painful was at night. Um, at uh had some undiagnosed learning issues and the, they kind of manifested with like the idea that this kid's just a problem, like, like he doesn't want to learn, he's lazy. And the teachers would tell me that and I'd be like, man, I don't feel lazy. Like, like I, I don't feel like a bad kid. I just can't get this to work. And, and I mean, I think I, one of the things I told myself is, well, maybe I was born on the wrong planet or maybe I'm cursed or whatever it is. There must be something wrong with me. And in those moments in between the racing thoughts and the intense feelings, there was kind of this darker voice in me that was like, man, you're really screwed. Like, uh, this really is hopeless. This really is your fault. Like, uh, I wish we weren't in this mess, but you're the one that got us into it. But really what it felt like was like pain. I mean, even now I can pretty readily, readily access it. And it was like this physical searing feeling lying there just a sense of hopeless isolation. So would I be right in saying that the loneliness part of it is the fact that no one can be in there with you, feeling those things with you and truly understand what it's like? Right. Like the lonely part of it was, I guess, like a mistaken notion I had as a kid that like, this was my fault or this should be something that's easy to deal with. And um, the fact that it wasn't meant that there was something r- wrong with me, almost like in a loneliness sense, repulsive to the community, L- like the community. I mean, like this this kid is marked and we need to avoid him. It's, it's who I am a- a- at my essence. Like there's something terribly wrong with me at my core. It's pretty bleak. Fast forward to adulthood. And Drew had started using alcohol and substances to numb this feeling of being deeply defective. And that kind of worked for a long time to kind of help me kind of control my experience in the world, like, and help me kind of tone it down and moderate it and and moderate a lot of my fears. And I actually lived like a long portion of my life that way of like one day, as long as I can cope with, with this now and stay just tuned out enough, like one day I'm going to get my act together and then I'm going to feel good and okay. And that day actually just, it, it never came. Like my life kind of deteriorated. Mm. And at that point in your life, you know, what's your experience of loneliness in that season of your life? That one, it it, ha- it was a little bit more crafty and like, cause I had kind of built up so many walls against it, but it would be a similar thing to that childhood thing of like, when there was just a pause or there was just a quiet moment. And it was like the loneliness was like this ooze, like leaking through the doorways. Like I thought our life was going to be something else. Like I thought we were going to work work on this or I thought we were getting into this relationship so it'd be fulfilling because it was like, okay, really, I'm just so afraid that what I believe is true, that it's like I had to be like inside my own bubble or something like that, like a self-imposed bubble. So it was like, Oh, I can't talk to anybody about this. If you knew what it was like inside this head, 
you to understand how bad it is. And people I was in relationships with or family members would be like, you're so detached. You're, you really are like an island. Like all, all those songs about loneliness, uh, about being an island or being a rock or whatever. Like, that's you, man. Mm. And do you have an idea of where that sense of you being defective came from? You know, I, I don't. Uh, it came from someplace painful, probably. And maybe it came from one event that I don't remember or maybe it was just like a mistaken thing that then I started rolling like a little ball and it grow, grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing is it came from a mistake, like a, a misunderstanding of the way the world works and, and my place in it. And I held on to it so tightly like, like that it was like, uh, for whatever reason, I really attached myself to that idea and internalized it. And that was the lens I started to view the world through it's like, well, you're really doomed. Mm. Like the, it, it, the the idea of a paper dragon kind of comes up because as you talk about it, you can kind of see the holes in the argument. It's like, well, why am I really doomed? Well, because you're a totally defective human being. Well, what part is this? No, it's just, I don't understand it. You're just like, it's you like just, uh, that part of me. It's like, I'm just trying to be your friend, man. You're totally screwed. Like <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Give up all hope. Mm. I'm here to protect you. Uh, wow. And mm. I think I just had to live that life till failure, till I was like literally like alone, where I almost had nothing. I have a daughter. Like I probably, if I kept at what I was doing, I probably lost all custody and time with her. Mm. I would have been living in a one room alone. And and part of me would have been okay with that. I wouldn't even have seen how lonely that is. It's like, Mm. look what what your loneliness and your attachment to what's beneath it has gotten you. And it's like, uh, now you're total, you actually are totally alone. That's where I realized wow, this just doesn't work. Like I, I am alone. I am lonely. Um, and I need, need some help from other people. And I guess that's kind of where I started to change, uh, or be open to the kind of idea of like, well, what, what if all this is, what if I'm wrong about all this? In a minute, we'll hear how Drew got out of this dark hole. But first, let's go back to Nettie. What does loneliness do to us? Okay. So loneliness is it's painful, it's unwanted, right? So hurts us. It hurts and it hurts physically as well as mm. emotionally and psychologically. And what happens when we feel lonely is that like any kind of unwanted situation, it triggers a whole lot of stress hormones. Mm. It impacts on us physically in that our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our immune function is compromised. Our ability to to relax and restore physically is impacted because we are pushed into some degree of that threat response, that fight or flight experience, which in little doses we can usually manage. If it's prolonged, mm. it, that can have significant impacts on our, our physical well-being over time. So are you pausing you there? Are you saying that loneliness can put us into like a fight or flight response? Yeah, it puts us into into a threat response, right. whether that's fight or wow. flight or freeze, because loneliness and social isolation in particular is possibly the most threatening thing for a human being. To be separated and disconnected is a real threat. It's it threat. It's a threat to our survival. Mm. 
does this kind of go back to the kind of evolutionary kind of like if we got separated from our tribe we could get eaten without yes. anyone helping us yeah defending our you know is it yeah, there's there's that there's that, is it that individual. Primitive? Yes, it's very primitive. There's that individual level of I need my tribe to survive, but my tribe also needs me to survive. So there's it goes in both directions. We mm. do everything is better when we do it together. <laughs> Jack Johnson. <laughs> so say more about the threat. Why is it so threatening? Because our survival depends on social connections. Why? I could live alone and order Uber Eats. And... You, you, might, you might survive for a while, hmm. but you would sicken. Wow. Wow. Physically and you, included. Yeah. And you certainly hmm. wouldn't be thriving. Hmm. I saw this thing on, uh, in the research process for this episode. The UK have done a lot of work around loneliness, hmm. and they've got a minister of loneliness, as does Japan, actually. And they've got this campaign to end loneliness and they made this ad campaign and one of the ads i had to laugh because it was made in like 2018 and it had a guy who was about 30 and they put him in his apartment alone for a week Mm. by himself without Mm. having without being able to go out and meet people Mm. which in 2018 (laughs) was was quite novel you know and and i was watching it going if only you knew what was about to happen but they put him in an apartment alone for a week they didn't. They took his technology away, so that was the difference between yeah. him and COVID, obviously. Yeah. But for day one, he was like, "Oh, this is quite nice. I'm not working, and I know I'm still mm. getting paid." And day mm. two, he was like, "Oh, this is good. I've watched a few DVDs and da da da." By day three, he was feeling lonely, and by day four, he was in tears. That's right. And he was recording himself because he told them to video himself. He was cry. He was just yes. beside himself. Absolutely. And a lot he had of no those, contact. Yeah, a lot of those those research experiments have had to be stopped right. because of wow. the distress. Wow. Yeah. The cool thing about this was at the end of the week, because he lived in a big apartment building. At the end of the week, the first thing they got him to do was to go visit an eighty-year-old man whose wife died 10 years ago in his apartment building mm. and talk about how hard he found the week. Mm. And the 80-year-old man was like, that's a pretty common week for me. Wow. Mm. And they chatted and they connected. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It's quite touching, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Solitary confinement <sighs> is... The worst. The worst. Like and the worst pe- punishment you can get in prison. And right? people will kill themselves. Yeah. Rather than endure... Solitary, yeah. Not everybody, of course, but but a lot of people kill themselves in solitary confinement. Mm. Do you know a lot about the kind of physiological effects of loneliness? Well, only in as much as that that the release of stress hormones has a wide ranging effect on our physical bodies. Mm. In particular, the impact on our immune systems. So it compromises our immune response, which means that we don't fight disease mm. as efficiently or as readily as we might otherwise, that we don't recover, we succumb more to viruses and stuff like that. And interestingly, because that stress response is all good and well in short bursts, but when that is prolonged or repeated, that's when you start seeing some of those longer-term effects. So we see higher rates of heart disease and blood pressure problems and cancer and all sorts for people who have 
higher rates of social disconnection. Mm, wow. People who are well connected socially live longer mm. and fight disease more effectively. Mm. When we're sick, actually what we need is companionship and people to be close to us, mm. taking care of us. It's why people fall in love with their nurses. Right. right. <laughs> One of the reasons perhaps. But but there's something about that that physical and emotional connection that builds resilience, both physical and emotional and psychological. Mm. It's really powerful. Yeah. It's really, really, really bad for us mm. to be alone. Mm. And really, really, really good for us to be connected. Yes. Here's Sue's again talking about how that deep, simmering sense of loneliness bubbled to the surface during certain life events. Things like marriage breakups, and with with that comes a loss of friends. Mm. Who you think are your people don't turn out to be your people because you've invested so much time in these people and then they're gone. Which can, for someone like me, who had heaps of friends and very social and blah, 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 all of a sudden, it was a very small circle. Mm. And actually, that was part of it, me being okay with that too. Having not less Having less. Friends. Yeah, not being the most popular person in the room anymore mm. and being okay with that. Mm. Um, and did you find your people? Yeah. Good people? Great people. Mm. <laughs> Great people. Let's go back to Drew again. And the battle still rages between his deep desire to connect with people and be fully known and that inner voice that says he's inherently defective. Deep down, man, there's something off about you. And almost like the self-protective mechanism that I bought into was like, I got to protect you. Like, because when they realize what whatever it is that's repulsive about you, that's really going to hurt. So I got to protect you from this. So we can't. Like, so it helped me moderate my experience, I guess, in some sad sense of like, okay, that's why I have to stay. I mean, you could come visit my island and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cook you a picnic lunch or whatever. <laughs> but, but you know, then you got to go, like, because yeah. the fog's going to come in and the darkness is going to come. So you got to get out of here. Because once you see what this island really looks like, you're not going to want to be here. Wow. So where to from there? I'm, I'm all in. Whew. I mean... Yeah, so I kind of, that was kind of the end of my alcohol use because it was like, uh, I kind of attributed a lot of where I had gotten and, and how alone I was to just that I was lost in alcoholism. And I was like, okay, well, if I just stop using alcohol and not use any other drugs and, and just figure out a way to stay abstinent from those things, then I'm going to be fine. And for a time, that was kind of actually true. Like, like I used a 12 step program and, and I stopped drinking. And I was going, I was working in therapy. So it was like, I was kind of touching on some of this stuff, but not the fact that I was fully bought in deep down to this way of viewing the world. And so uh, my life on the surface started to get better. And and even like on the middle level, like my relationships with some of my siblings and and people in my life and my relationship at work and my creative pursuits, I just had a lot more capacity to be present and, and to do stuff. And I was taking better care of myself physically, but it was still like this idea that I was running from something. Like at some point, some part of my brain was like, this is pointless. Like you're just, you're just participating in a play. Like, mm. like, uh, 
you're you're trying to connect with these people and you're trying to do these actions that uh, connect you with them or be a service or go have fun with people or listen or talk. But deep down, this other thing's still there. And I had to, like, without drugs or alcohol, like, isolate myself yet again, like, to where the point where, like, I was like, okay, I could, like, reach out to some people I know for help and tell my therapist what's going on. I can start using alcohol again, which for me would have been a a slow death or it could have been a quick death, or I could take my life. And it was kind of like just the idea of like making a pros and cons list to that. It's like pretty bad. It's like, dude, you're going to make a pros and cons list about, uh, you could just call somebody or text them and say, Hey, I need to talk. I'm in, I'm in trouble. Uh, versus these other options, which are pretty bleak, uh, and permanent and there's no going back. Uh, and, and that kind of shook me again. So it shook me again to reach out to people and to connect. I had to like start reconnecting with people and then the pandemic hit and and it was like, Mm. actually, in the depths of the pandemic where I found my way out of loneliness. Oh, really? It's so crazy. Like, uh, as the pandemic hit, I just had kind of tried to be like, let me return to the world. And um, part of staying sober during the pandemic was going to 12-step meetings on Zoom and connecting with a lot of these people. And a lot of people seem to have a way to live their life that I connect with. And that part of me was still like, no, but not for you. And I'm like, but why? What? That doesn't make any sense. It goes against what everybody's talking about. And it was like, yeah, but it's hopeless for you. And that was where I was finally willing to tell somebody where it was like, I told another guy that I had met, like, he was like, Hey, like you, I know you talk about like that. Everything's okay. And, and he goes, and, and it seems like you probably got your life together, but if you ever don't just let me know, like I'm here to listen. And I, and I was just like, that was the final crack for me was that guy. Like he just said, Hey, just give me a call. And I t- I called him. I said, listen, man, I'm, I feel like I'm living a lie, but not like a cool lie or like, not like a lie, like a flashy lie, like a, a lie of like some baffling insanity. And I kind of told him, I'm like, you know, I, I, I hear all this stuff and I'm trying to do all this stuff, but I still feel like none of this being a human or being a mammal or, or connecting with other people is ever going to work. There's something wrong with me. And he didn't really tell me any answer. He just said, listen, listen, listen to me. But it was something about acknowledging, like, I, I don't want to believe that this is true anymore. That that kind of set me on the path of like, well, if you don't want to believe this is true, then what are you actually going to do about it? It just made me aware of how much my fear of it being true kept me from actually even testing out, is this true? Like, I guess if I could go back in time again, it'd be like, Hey, why don't you test out and see if it's true? I would have been like, hey, no way, man. Like, I'm not testing this out. Like, kind of like a roller coaster or a haunted house. It's like, I used to be afraid of those as a kid. And my younger brother would have to go first. He'd go on the roller coaster and he'd get off and that he survived. This is the kind of brother I am. Oh, you're alive. Okay, now I'll go on it. Like, uh, like I was like, all right, now I've seen you survived and weren't killed. I'll, I'll go on it. Like, uh, And it was kind of like that idea. It's like... Uh, why don't you go and test some of these ideas out in the world? See if they, how have they worked out for you and see if they're really true. Like, I know you're afraid to test it out, but why don't you see if you're really the lone wolf mammal that you claim to be on the inside, that you don't need human connection and that it's not possible for you? Why don't, why don't you test that out? I, I would love it was a switch that was flicked and changed on me. Unfortunately, it's something I've learned. I got to do it every, every day. Uh, I, I didn't get super avoidant about this interview, but it was some, there's some part and it's like, oh yeah, you can't go on there and talk about this kind of, oh no, you get, it's like, okay, is that really that much 
terrifying or that dangerous or that threatening? Or is it just going to be like outside of your comfort zone? And why don't you see what's on the other side of it and, and see what happens? And maybe somebody else that feels this kind of pain can relate to it and realize that it is that you don't have to live that way. Yeah. So Drew started testing out whether his deep sense of being fundamentally flawed was actually true. And we'll come back to him soon to see how that went. But first, let's head back to Nettie talking about whether there's a link between loneliness and depression. It's an interesting one because it's like a bit of a circular loop. You know, when I feel lonely, I'm more likely to start feeling sad about being lonely and, mm. and that can spiral. So loneliness isn't obviously the same as depression, but it's quite interrelated. And of course, then when we're depressed, we tend to become more isolated and we mm. tend to expect people to reject us. And so we isolate ourselves even more. And so we get more lonely mm. and it becomes this, this spiral. It's known that social isolation has a really detrimental impact on our mental health. Mm. Anxiety and depression and stress. Are certain types of interactions more likely to alleviate loneliness than others? Hmm. I mean, that's an interesting thing because sometimes we need just the mundane, right? Not everything has to be a deep and meaningful, intense, authentic interaction. Mm. In fact, I was I did hear this really, what I thought was quite a beautiful quote from somebody, and don't ask me where it came from because I can't remember, but it was a woman who'd lost her husband, mm. an elderly woman. They'd been together for a really long time. She had wonderful social support, and she said, I have lots of people to do things with. I have nobody I can do nothing with. Oh, Wow. Yeah, that's nice. Which is beautiful, isn't it? But that sense of it doesn't always, it's not always about that deep dive into something profound. Mm. Sometimes there's something about just the being with the other in whatever that day-to-day experience is like. Mm. Yeah, and I, you know, I, to this day, one thing I like about going back to my family home or, you know, where my parents live is that you can just put your track pants on, lie on the couch eat half a tub of ice cream, mm. say nothing, mm. and it's absolutely fine, you know? Yes. You can just exist and share that space with another. The, the nice thing about those experiences is that they're not pretense. And I think that when we feel that we have to pretend mm. and we have to be something other than what we are in order to get the social connection that we crave, that's ultimately unsatisfying. So when we can have any kind of experience where we get to be our authentic self, where we get to be true, when we don't have to pretend and put on our, our false self in order to feel like we're going to be loved and accepted, any of those kinds of experiences are what are what's going to enhance our well-being. Mm. I was thinking about even your and my connection. We sit here and we talk about things that are absolutely fascinating to both of us. We don't necessarily talk about ourselves all mm, that much. That's true. Yeah. But we're talking about stuff. We share an interest and we share a passion, mm. which is a meaningful connection. Mm, mm. We don't necessarily delve into 
our personal stories no. around that very often. But, but when, you know, like when you invited me to have dinner with you and Dave, it felt completely natural. I felt like mm. I was catching up with a friend, mm. even though we don't talk about our lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of go, man, I actually don't know that much about you at all. <laughs> but I still feel connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've had some really meaningful, yeah. valuable conversations yeah, that sure. have felt authentic and true. Mm. Yeah. As well as that, there must also be a need to, if I'm going through something, if yeah. something's hard for me, yeah. I must need to be able to share that as well. Yeah. Right? What, we, what is good for us in terms of our whole well-being is that if we have at least somewhere where we can be deeply known. I mean, that's the most secure mm. place to be. Mm. It's also the most risky because we're the yeah. most vulnerable. Yeah. Um, in researching this, I came across a concept I hadn't heard of before in relation to loneliness, and it's this idea of skin hunger. Have you heard of this? Well, yeah, but we call it, what's it called? You got some flash psychological oh, word for it. it's not you? all that flash. It's, de- it's uh, tactile. T- deprivation, touch, <laughs> touch deprivation. All oh, right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's got to be the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah, it is. It is. It's the same thing. So skin hunger refers to that longing to be touched mm. right and touch is like perhaps the most it's it's that sensory connection mm. you know we we connect with each other on a real, on a very primitive sensory level and touch is a fundamental aspect mm. of that kind of primitive connection mm. so we need it we do mm. we do in fact can it just be g'day mate g'day mate give you a hug mate well, that's, have to be that's more than part that. of it. It doesn't have to. It might not need to be more than that. Right. But physical touch is really powerful. In, and interestingly enough, I mean, when you these days when you have a baby, priority is mm. given to that skin and skin contact. And we know that that physical touch stimulates the neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is called the love hormone. Mm. And when oxytocin is released, it enhances our openness to human connection. So it's really powerful. Mm. It's primal. It kind of speaks to the the primitive nature of our need to connect. Mm. While you were talking, I had like a half smile because, again, in my research, I saw that there's something I hadn't heard of before, which is a cuddle therapist. Yes, there is. <laughs> you know about this, do you? Yeah. I don't know much about cuddle therapists, but... <laughs> what a great job! Things I know that there are such things. Yeah. So you pay someone to, to just cuddle you? Wow! Yeah, that's got to be awkward. Well, you if can you, pay for all sorts of things these days, can't you? <laughs> but it says something, though, doesn't it? About this is a need mm. that is being neglected, mm. and you know, for some of for some people who live alone, that's part of the importance of pets having a a cat or a dog or, or a pet that you can stroke and touch and who's, who is physically connected to you can, can be really valuable, can mm. be really nourishing. Mm. Did you find that deep feeling of loneliness had an effect on you physically, on your body, on your health? Yes, 100% I did. I felt like I, I wasn't sleeping well. Mm. I'd wake through the night a lot. I didn't want to exercise. I just felt lonely and sad. Mm. I just wanted to stay at home with a packet of chips and a bottle of wine and drink it and eat it. 
<laughs> which is a very bad pattern to form unless you kind of click out of that eventually. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard to look, to really look after yourself when you're not feeling great. Mm. But, you know, again, luckily for me, naturally I'm a I'm an active person. I love running. I, love, I have a horse, so that forces me to be outside. I live at the beach. I have a dog that I've got to run every day. So naturally I get a lot from being in the outdoors and, and moving my body and and letting the endorphins flow, flow again. Here's Drew again, and we're picking up from when he's hit rock bottom, finally shared this feeling of being defective with a friend, and he's even started to put this negative belief about himself to the test. I mean, I realized, like, how wrong I was, and I'm not necessarily cu- cured. I mean, I'm hoping, like, some things get easier, but, like, the idea of, like, uh, walking up to somebody, like, you're at the farmer's market or something, and just saying, hey, like, complimenting them, uh, that's a, like, a fear of mine would be, I'm, I'm just there to get vegetables and get home, man. Like, I don't need to talk to anyone. I don't need to talk. No, no, I don't need to talk about how my day's going. Yeah. I don't need to. some bok choy and some asparagus and I'm out of here. Right. Like, like, I'm not here to make friends, even though I could probably use some more. Like, so going against that and be like, okay, why don't you go and, and say hi to some people? If you see something nice, compliment the people, ask a question. And then some part of me is like, cool, I get to test out some fears like a little kid. But most part of me is like, oh boy, you're putting us through this again. But as soon as I do, it's like, oh man, those are the best looking strawberry I've ever seen in my life. And they say, oh, well, these are special strawberries. And I say, oh, wow, it's so interesting. Like, uh, And you can see the smile on their face and the smile on your face. And it feels good. Now, just like we're recording this, for some reason, my brain never hits record on any of this stuff. (laughs) The next day, it's always like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, you can't, you're going to talk to people at the farmer's market? What are you, a loon? I mean, much like meditation and other stuff, mm-hmm. it, it is like a practice, I guess, for me at least. And what's it been like for you finding more connection with people than before? There's like a forlorn sadness there of like, wow, what did you miss out on? Or how sad that this kid or this younger part of me w- was deprived from all this. But that actually creates some more sense of responsibility, too. It's like, okay, well, I really shouldn't keep this up. Or, or like, on these daily choices we're talking about, like, that, that my choice has some weight. If I'm going to avoid people or avoid these chances to connect with people or avoid kind of being uncomfortable or facing my fears, there's a cost. And there's a cost of pain in the past. And I have to remember that. Um, but it feels good. As she said earlier, one of the ways that Suze found her way out of that lonely and dark space was to give herself pep talks. And here's some of the things she would say to herself. Not everyone is going to like you, and that's okay. Hmm. Get up, start with going for a walk, start with picking up the phone, talking to someone. Not necessarily talking to them and going, hey, I'm feeling really lonely, you want to hang out and we chat? Mm-hmm. Just just talk to them, just ask them about what they're up to today, just Get, just have other people in your mind shift your focus taking up the DJ thing was really good because it gave me something else to think about having something to do that I could do on my own that brought me joy mm. trying to reprogram the lonely with joy mm. and the joy not being Social. because you're filling it with people mm. bringing yourself joy making yourself happy making yourself liked Liked by you. Liked by you. And if we can't get along with ourselves, it's very difficult to get along with other people. Mm. 
I've noticed in preparing for this and talking to friends and stuff that, and I didn't really see this coming necessarily, but it's actually really hard for people to admit that they're mm. lonely. Mm. Why do you think that is? Mm. Yeah, it is interesting because if we're not ashamed of saying I'm hungry, why are we ashamed of saying I'm lonely? And I think it's because we'll often attribute our loneliness to there being some sort of deficit in ourselves. Something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. I think that it's it's also, I mean, loneliness is, is also, it may or may not be due to rejection, but we certainly feel it as a rejection. And if I'm being rejected, there's something deficient in me. Mm. There's something to be ashamed of. There's something that I should hide. My loneliness is somehow my fault. And it indicates that I'm not good enough. Yeah, that's sad. What would be an overall kind of message you might want to give someone who's feeling lonely, longs for deeper connections in their lives, longs for those relationships where they feel seen and understood? What would you say to someone in that mm. position? The tricky thing about loneliness is that it's one of those problems that we actually can't solve ourselves. We actually need other people mm. and we actually need to rely on other people for that. But also we can't make somebody else accept us and make space for us. All we can do is choose how we're going to be, how we're going to engage and interact with other people, how we're going to create a space that's conducive to connection. And what is actually quite interesting is that when we give our time and attention to the needs of other people, our own negative internal emotional burdens tend to recede. Mm. I did read that and that struck me as well and it really stood out to me. Is that one of the so-called cures for loneliness is helping. Helping, absolutely. To take your preoccupation, your anxiety about your own self put that aside and give your attention to the other person. Mm. Be to them Mm. what it is that every human being needs. Mm. And that has a big impact on how we then feel internally ourselves. So a good starting point could be to be for someone what you want others to be for you. Yeah. Be a friend. Mm. Volunteer. Give. Mm. Listen. Absolutely. Mm. What's your relationship with loneliness like now? I mean, there's a little bit part of me that's afraid of it still because it's afraid of that sliding into that bottomless pit. uh, And and like, what if I can't get out or what if I just keep going or what if I stay up all night worrying? And when you say afraid Um, of it, are you saying afraid of being alone or afraid of loneliness? Afraid of the loneliness. Like, um, but I guess now I'm afraid of being alone too, I guess. So maybe that's, that's what the difference is, is like, loneliness now i'm kind of seeing it as a feeling that comes and goes during the day like like the waves is like okay there's some big waves today mm-hmm. and they're really crashing mm-hmm. and sometimes at night that loneliness and that darkness is just going to creep in because it's kind of part of who i am but the being alone which is the truth the loneliness is kind of just a feeling and a thought or a misrepresentation of reality but being alone is something I can choose mm. or, or I can see it as a choice. Because it's like if I'm at a party or, or a convention or wherever a group of people and I'm an introvert, it's like, okay, I just got to stand over here and 
nobody wants to talk to me. And it's like, okay, dude, like, but you, there's other people that feel uncomfortable. Why don't you try to make them feel welcome or, you know, try one of these games that they teach introverts. Oh, hell no, 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 no. But it's like, that's a choice, right? I can avoid, avoid it and be lonely. Then it's like, okay, well, I'm the only one standing here. Oh, poor me. Mm. And I mean, that's, those are legitimate feelings, but it's like, for me, it's like, there's also a part of me now that some of the time, not all the time, knows I'm choosing that. It's like, well, you could make a different choice. I realize it's scary to go talk to those people because they're in a group and they look all smooth and whatever. Mm. But you could try and you could see how it goes. Like finding people you genuinely connect with. And it might be over uh, music. It might be over like a shared experience. It might be people you just have fun with and you're easy to be around where you feel like you can be yourself. But it's like... Uh, Finding those adult relationships uh, and family relationships, too, where it's like we're really connecting over something. And if we're not connecting over everything, that's fine, too. So it's given me a new curiosity, I think. And that kind of drives the connection, too, because it's like, hey, I want to know you better. Like even you're like we were talking earlier. It's like, oh, man, like what, what's it like for you to make your podcast? Like, what's mm. that feel like? Like it's mm. like and that's what draws feels like the thread that I was missing where it's like. Now you can go deeper because you're both pulling at threads versus like, I'm just a rock. You got to get off this island fast. And it sounds like part of the transition that happened for you is is that you moved from being kind of deeply self-focused to actually being curious about other people and putting your focus on other people. Right, right. Yeah. Like there's a saying like your fire hose is either pointed outward or in, uh, at your own face. And my fire hose is always pointed at my <laughs> face, man. Like it was like, uh, it, and yeah, just obsessed with like my own thoughts and my own safety and my own well-being. And yeah, in, in some sense, really in a dehumanizing way for other people of like, I saw people as like threats or obstacles or, or stuff. And that's not a really fulfilling way to live for anybody that you're not terminally unique. Like they got their own struggles. They have a whole full life behind them too. Mm. And do you have one or two people in your life who really know you and, and really get you? And what's that like if you do? I mean, I think for me, like whether it's these, the, the guys that I work with or, or people in my life or there's people I can really talk to about anything, it goes back to that proof that none of this is true, that it, it was all this imagined thing that like you really can be yourself and there really is a richness to that and there's a richness to other people. You just have to get past that guardedness and, and that terror that, that you're going to be deemed repulsive and, and that you're going to be rejected or, or cast out uh, forever. I mean, even though, yeah, we talk about kind of trite sayings, but it's like you are enough. Like, like if people are listening it's a pretty common feeling to feel like you're not enough and that you are going to be rejected or or thrown out. But that's a normal fear. But but the idea is that you really are enough. Like, like uh, And everybody has a lot to offer. And it's kind of that idea that reinforces it, I think, having these healthy relationships that it's like, okay, I could be here for you. You could be here for me. Oh, you can't be here for me? Okay, that's totally cool. Like Because I know somebody else that can be right now. Like, yeah. And how are things now? Things are okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's not, I'm still on a journey, mm. you know, and I don't have it sorted. What? Who does? What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but I've certainly given myself the best shot I can. Mm. What do you do now if you feel that 
loneliness threatening to creep in. Mm-hmm. I go out for a walk or a run. I put some music on. One thing I did get into a habit of doing, which I found was really, really good in shifting mindset, was writing down three things or thinking about three things I was grateful for, mm. whether it be bird singing outside in the morning, a hot cup of tea, a warm fire. Just every day thinking about three things to be grateful for. And it shifts your mindset. It starts you operating from a place of gratitude and gratefulness. Mm. And it stops you thinking, what's wrong with me? Mm. It starts you thinking about what's great. Mm. What about you? What do you say to yourself these days? Suze, you're looking fine <laughs> this morning. Hey. Smoking. Smoking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wish I was your guy. <laughs> what do I say to myself these days? I say, you've got this. Mm. You've got this. It will be okay. Be grateful. Celebrate the small things. Mm. Keep walking. Keep trying. Keep connecting. Don't be afraid to connect with people because it hasn't worked before. Mm. Take that risk. Take a risk. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But keep going. Mm. And when you can't keep going, pick up the phone and put people in your life that can help you keep going. Mm. Nobody's ever going to say, I don't want to help you, loser. Go look for another don't, herd. Yeah, yeah, you old stallion <laughs> with no game. <laughs> yeah. Find the people that you can be safe with being vulnerable with and be vulnerable. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. <sighs> but loneliness sucks, man. Hmm. It effing sucks. But I can look at it now and go, I recognize you. Your I know little what. Rapscallion. Yeah, here we go again. <laughs> you knocking at my door. Punk. Yeah, I know how to deal with you, I think. And if I don't, at least I've got more tools this time round than I did last time round. I'm starting to pick up the tools to help me with that little life battle. Oh, that's such um, such insightful stuff as far as what I would like people to hear, you know? Well, I kind of, I was terrified, actually. When you when you put out the, you know, call to arms, so to speak, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I, shit, yeah, I know what that's like. And it just, I kind of just... Did I just kind of contacted you? And then after contact, you, I was like, what have you done? No, <laughs> terrifying, bad. <laughs> and I had to give myself a pep talk driving in here today. It's like, come on, be brave. It's really scary. But if your experience can be, can, can be someone's survival guide, mm. then you owe it to them to be brave because... Takes a village, doesn't it? And we need help. And we need people being honest. And Yeah, I really, genuinely, really admire that. I don't know if I would have that level of courage to sit where you are and, and, and be as open as you've been. On that note, let me ask you what I tend to ask everyone. If someone's listening to this and right now they're feeling really lonely... Like, what would you want to say to them? I would say, yes, you're feeling lonely. 
but you can take some steps to not feel so alone and this feeling will not last forever it really won't but you have to be a little bit brave and a little bit vulnerable and it will be okay to be brave and vulnerable it will work out for you go and have a walk in the fresh air write things you're grateful for reach out to someone do something for someone and then tell them why you're doing it and life will start to change it will start to change and any particular steps as far as finding the connection that they long for what do you know about tinder Sign up. <laughs> Swipe left. I've got some great filters. Oh, yeah. Let's sort that profile out for you. Should I help you? <laughs> right, three photos. What's your best ones? <laughs> the first step starts right there in the loneliness with you alone. It starts with you saying things to yourself, positive things to yourself. Start changing the narrative a little bit. Um, hopefully, there'll be one person that you can trust and just say, hey, I'm feeling a bit isolated and whilst I don't necessarily know how to talk about it or what to talk about it'd just be really great to go for a walk find those people that you can make connections with they don't have to be a penguin on an island you don't have to be a penguin on an island A big thanks to Suze and Drew for being so open and willing to share their stories with us, and to Nettie for generously giving up her time. If this episode has brought anything up for you and you want to talk to someone, no matter where you are in the world, you can go to helpguide.org to find your local helplines. And if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 at any time of the day or night. It would be really great if you could help make the next episode of Are You Mental possible, to make a contribution, go to ayumental.com and click on the donate button. To drop me a line with any feedback or anything else, my email is mick, that's M-I-C-K, at ayumental.com. And our Instagram is at ayumentalpodcast. If you'd like to be lulled into slumber by Drew's dulcet tones, then check out his podcast, Sleep With Me, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to the team at Love It Media for all their work and support. Make sure you follow the podcast on your podcast app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, that involves hitting the plus sign at the top. Please share this episode with anyone you think will get something out of it. Give us a five-star rating. And if you really want to help us get this to the world, write a review on your podcast app. See you back here soon for another episode. And until then, have a mental week.